Hi, I'm Jake Parker, and this is my podcast, Beyond Fit. My goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics, as well as self-improvement. If you want to find out more about me, visit my website, jake-parker.com. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey guys, this is Jake. I know that the last two episodes have been a little bit delayed compared to what I normally do. I've been actually in the process of moving. And in addition to that, with my online presence, I've been sort of thinking about getting a new website that's more user-friendly and getting back to blogging on a bi-weekly basis. So been busy with that. Also trying to move into action on an idea for a book that I've been kicking around that I want to give out for free online. So stay tuned for some new developments. The podcast you're about to listen to today was with Stephen Pressfield. Stephen is one of my favorite authors and it was an absolute honor to have him on the show. I've been reaching out to Stephen for literally about a year trying to get him to come on the podcast because I enjoy the things he has to say so much, especially around the concept of resistance, which we'll talk about. He puts so eloquently the feelings, thoughts, and emotions that we all have that encompass not only a creative calling like writing, but anything that we delve into to enrich ourselves personally, to try to grow with fitness, with our relationships, really with anything. We covered a lot. We went a lot of different places, as you can see in the description. I hope that you enjoy this podcast, and without further ado, I'll let you listen in. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Beyond Fit podcast. Today, my guest is author Stephen Pressfield. Uh, I've been trying to get Stephen on the podcast for quite a while now, and I'm very excited for him to be joining me. Uh, The book that he's most known for in my circle is the book, The War of Art, when she talks about overcoming the resistance, which is something that we'll get into. But uh, he also has written many fiction books and has authored, I believe it's close to 20 books, give or take. I've read a lot of your nonfiction, but you also uh, initially in your career delved into the fiction world. So thanks, Stephen, for joining me. And why don't you go ahead and say hi on your end. All right, great. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me. Let's plunge right in. Yeah. So the first question I had, and we kind of talked a little about this before we started, but Obviously, my website and my audience is more geared towards how to optimize their health and fitness. And so one of the things that I think is most interesting about writing and about writers in general is that it seems to me like there's a lot of parallels between writing and fitness and the fact that it's one of those things that it really takes a lot to overcome that initial resistance. But it's they're both long-term gratification games and they're both uh, activities where I think you and I'd agree that you get into it and it might be tough at first, but once you get going and once you finish what you set out to do, whether it be in a workout or writing, you know, uh, X amount of pages for your book or a blog or whatever it is, it's always a better feeling afterwards. So I'm curious how fitness plays into your world and if you see those similar parallels in your life. Well, for sure, Jake, it's like, actually now my gym is closed, mm-hmm. but I've always been, you know, a gym person. I always kind of start, start the day ridiculously early mm-hmm. and uh, always feel like it's uh, going to the gym is like a rehearsal for me in a way for, um, for when I get 
home to my office and you know face mm -hmm. the blind page and I'm doing the regular writing work because they're both you know they call it as you know they call it resistance training mm -hmm. and that's exactly what it is right you're working against uh, a weight that's resisting you right the gravity mm -hmm. is resisting you and it's a very similar thing just like you said Jake in the writing world or in any creative world where that force that I call resistance with a capital R mm -hmm. is trying to sort of keep you from facing the blank page or from doing your pages or doing your your work your calling whatever it is the gym is an exact parallel to it so for me i feel like when i go to the gym i'm first of all i'm doing something that i don't want to do mm -hmm. something that's hard and something that hurts mm -hmm. you know? and so by you know doing that first in the day for me it really kind of gets me going and a lot of times we'll leave the gym you know the guys i train with and they'll say mm -hmm. you know nothing you do for the rest of the day is going to be any harder than what yep. you just did right yep. now you know so mm -hmm. um that's a it's a great way to start the day yeah i remember you talking the, about oh sorry i'm sorry just going to say that one of the books that i've cited in the past is twyla tharp's book the creative mm -hmm. habit twyla okay. tharp is a famous choreographer who's worked with Barishnikov and all that kind of stuff. And she talks in her book, The Creative Habit, about just uh, making, establishing habits. Mm -hmm. Now she's a person that, even though her, her day is physical in the, in the dance studio, she starts with two hours at the gym. Mm -hmm. And she says that that's like a ritual for her that kind of gets her going. And that's, that's kind of the way I feel about it too. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's almost paradoxical in the way that going to the gym and getting your exercise in, it doesn't make you have less energy in the day. I think most people would agree it energizes you for the day. Or like I, I also was going to mention the fact that, you know, if you see a difference in some creatives have uh, a habit for the gym of like going in the middle of the day to break up their work. And ah. so for you, is it more like, getting going. It's kind of like you mentioned, like practice for the writing, just doing something hard and getting right into it first thing in the day is important to you. Yeah. Somehow it just, I, I, can't, I can't imagine breaking up the day, going to the gym, mm -hmm. come mm -hmm. home and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. you know, for me, just, uh, uh, you know, actually somebody, somebody sent me an email the other day and they said, what was it? They asked, what's the secret of success, right? A really easy question. And I, I just sort of said off the top of my head, the secret of success is getting up early. And for me, at least that is for me, you know, I'm a morning person. And so to, to face that first thing is always the best thing for me. Mm -hmm. God yeah, bless think, everybody that does it other times. Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, you know, it's the other thing really important that the other most tangible aspect of me, as far as the gym goes and creative expression and writing and things of that nature I think that it's really important, the aspect of working out, of getting into your body and out of your head. Like as writers, we do so much focusing and we're trying to brainstorm and come up with ideas and organize things in our head. I love the hard workout because when you're doing, say, you know, a hard set of squats or whatever it is you're doing that day, you're not thinking, you're not overthinking and in your head and you're really just, it's kind of a meditative in that, in that way. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger has talked about how the gym can be meditative and I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that that too, Jake. You know, I mean, it is a mental game too, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's sort of a different kind of a mental game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and I love that that the two parallel each other in resistance so much. Uh, a lot of times when I talk about your book to other people, uh, they 
you know, some people kind of have their reaction of like, oh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a creative person, you know, that wouldn't apply to me. And it's like, number one, I think that people are creative in whatever they do. And number two, I don't think that your book necessarily has to apply to the artist or the writer. It applies to, like you talk about, any time that you want to make a change to grow into a better person spiritually or emotionally or fix your relationships or just ascend to any higher plane, I think you've put it, that, that faces resistance too. Yes, definitely. I mean, when I, when I first wrote The War of Art, which was like 2002, so 18 mm. years ago, um, I thought it was just for writers. I thought that would be the only audience. Mm. I, in fact, I didn't even know if, if writers would be interested in it. I thought mm. maybe this is just all in my head. I'm the only person experiencing that. But I have found over the years from emails that people send me and stuff like that, that just like you say, this this phenomenon of phenomenon of self-sabotage and self-doubt goes across the board every level of, of, of life. Like you say, anytime you're trying to move to a higher level on a, on a kind of a soul level, something more ethical, something more, uh, more out of your higher self, that force, that negative force of resistance is going to kick in and try to stop you from doing it. Mm -hmm. So anything we can do to mentally prepare ourselves for that in any field, it's a parallel. Every, every field I, I look at, it's a parallel. It's all the same. Yeah. In my, in my mind, a lot of the biggest jumps I feel like I've made in realizations or in personal growth or whatever it may be, uh, I think that it mostly comes when I'm really honest about something that I'm not sure about being honest about. You know, you have some thought or worry or anxiety in your head and you, and you, you know, if I put it out there to a friend or family member or in a podcast or whatever it is, a lot of times I think they're just going to look at me, you know, cross-eyed. But a lot of times that's when you hear someone else being like, oh, really? You feel that way too? You know, you have that same worry. I think that we forget that we all are battling these voices in our head, this resistance. And it's empowering to know that it's not just you because sometimes it can feel that way, especially uh, when I was younger, it felt that way where you have less life experience and have not read deeply and uh, found mentors in life that have, that that tell you that this is how it is. You can kind of feel like it's a very dark and lonely journey. Let me ask you something, Jake, about your own self. What are mm -hmm. what are what are your ambitions? What do you where do you see yourself five years from now? Mm -hmm. What what well, journey are you on? Mm -hmm. um, I really want to just empower people with the things that I learn and the things that you know. I see a couple of my strengths being one that I love to just delve deeply into information and I'm very good at just reciting that for other people. And that's why, you know, I mentioned so many different mentors. I feel like people like you inspire me. And like I mentioned, I love to read Ryan Holiday's work and the daily stoic. And I love to listen to people like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan. I'm just interested in all these people that are unassuming and are just curious about, you know, making new discoveries in life and, and continued growth for me, I just want to empower other people by helping them understand what I've learned. Uh -huh. And also just for me, it's in the, in the context of the thing that I know the most about is health and fitness. So that's my number one way of empowering people. But I think that everything in the whole realm of just personal development is so interconnected and exercise is definitely an important component and something that I have an area of expertise in. But what I really care about, care about is just helping people live a more enriched life and so i hope to do that with this podcast and by writing as well now let me ask you if you don't mind me i'm interviewing you here a little mm -hmm. bit mm -hmm. did you always feel that way jake like when you were in high school or something or was there a moment when you kind of 
decided that you wanted to to help people and that was mm. your call yeah there's de- i can definitely point to a moment in time almost to you know if i really if i really thought about it like the the day or week because i i went through college as we talked about before this and i was a pretty normal college student um you know i always i always had these inclinations where i was more emotional and more connected to to something deeper and kind of had that feeling but before i really delved head on into these authors that i admired and listening to to people that i admired i i never really understood what life was all about you know like for example I went through college, I went through business school, and I always thought that I would just go on to law school because that's what my dad is an attorney. And so there was finally a time when I was getting close to graduating college where I kind of just realized that I had to just stop making assumptions about my life was going to be like and really be intentional about it and think of what I want out of life. So I think that the reason that I'm so motivated to help other people is because I, I know how easy it is to, well, not easy, but how capable we are of changing our minds because I definitely changed my mindset from someone who's closed-minded and I I was ready to you know just get a nine-to-five job and live a normal life and then I started you know getting these new ideas uh, ingrained into my life and now I just see myself as so much more open-minded and growth-minded and curious and always wanting to change and learn more and so I think that part of my duty is to try to help other people in the way that I've been helped. Uh Interesting. You know, have you ever heard of a, a, a podcast called The Moment by Brian Koppelman? No, I have not. It sounds a little familiar. The, the name does kind of sound familiar, but. Yeah, Brian Koppelman is a writer, and I think the show that he is, does a show on TV called Billions, mm-hmm. which he'll kill me if I say I've never seen it, but I hear it's really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And he does a podcast called The Moment, and what he's kind of interested, he interviews like writers and artists and people that are, you know, thinking kind of like you think. And mm-hmm. he asked them, what was the moment for you when you, you know, went from whatever it was you were doing before to mm-hmm. kind of turning pro and sort of focusing on, mm-hmm. on what you were going to do. So it's, it's a really good podcast. If I'm okay. sure we all have yeah, like 10,000 too many. Mm-hmm. Moment mm-hmm. by Brian Koppelman. Yeah. Well, one of my other main questions for you, just speaking about my own personal endeavors is like, I, I think that it's interesting how you talk about back to the the parallels between fitness and writing. Like for myself, well, that's a, that's another core of interesting component of my story is I've always really loved working out. But when I was like a teenager and in my early twenties, it was all about like wanting to look big and strong, and it was kind of in that sense of vanity. Whereas now it's a lot more about I work out for my mental and emotional health, and I work out because I know that it's going to keep me strong and fit into my old age. And so my context has kind of changed on that. But I feel very fortunate that I think, I guess sort of my question is, do you think that this is more of a result of a habit where it's so easy for me to get into the gym and exercise, you know, four or five, six days a week, but whereas it's hard for me to sit down and write is, do you think that's just a result of, I haven't made it a habit uh, as much as I have made going to the gym? Uh, That's probably it. And mm-hmm. also, you probably have more resistance mm-hmm. to the writing than you do to the gym. You've probably done the gym so many times, mm-hmm. and it's been such a part of your life for such a long time, that it's not that hard. It's right. It's an mm-hmm. ingrained habit. It's like if you didn't go to the gym, you'd feel weird, right? Yeah. So, I mean, using the theory of resistance, I would say, you know, you should crank up your, your motivation, your intensity mm-hmm. a little more on the mm-hmm. writing side and make sure you can make that a, 
you know, as much of a habit as, uh, as the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my, one of the new goals I've been trying to tackle this year is just to uh, write one page a day. And the way that I kind of make it more accessible for myself is I, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that I intend on putting out there, but whether I'm journaling or just writing about my thoughts and feelings, I want to try to get one page down a day. And then a lot of times if I'm able to work through, you know, like the journaling and things that I feel like I, uh, is necessary for me to write about, then I can kind of make room for the more expressive things I want to get out there to other people. Uh-huh. I think it's great to have a, you know, uh, a practice to treat it as a practice mm-hmm. and to say that I'm going to do X amount each day, regardless of what the outcome is or regardless of what the content is. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I myself, like as a, as a writer of books, I kind of go, project to project mm-hmm. for me that's sort of how my whole life works mm-hmm. i'll be working on book number seven and that that will be what sort of consumes me mm-hmm. for two years or something like that and then i'll as i'm working on that i'm thinking about you know what's number eight going to be mm-hmm. what's yeah and i'll sort of go from from project to project so that's my version of, of making it a practice but i do think that Thinking of it as a, as a as something you're going to do a, a lifelong thing. Like I'm sure you think about working out, take right. same way. You're going to do that your whole life. When you're right. 80 years old, you're going to be in the gym, right? It doesn't it doesn't even cross your mind that you'll hit some finish line and you'll quit or you'll retire, right? You're, it's a lifelong thing, and I think that's kind of that's the way I think we ought to think about life. Period. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it too is a lifelong thing, and and uh, you know. The practice of it is the most important thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, I've shared a couple emails with Ryan Holiday and just expressed to him how much I enjoyed his books and, you know, kind of asked him for any advice. And something he told me that, I, that I'll always remember is, he said something about keep reading and writing and just remember there's no hurry, no pause. So you're just constantly doing something, but you're, you're never letting it stagnate. And I know that you've made the point in your writing that, you, you never want to complete a project and then just sit and be like, okay, what's next? You make that point that you know what, like you said, if you're on seven, you have an idea of what eight is going to be. It's not a stop and okay, so let's think about the next one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday's too. I actually just visited him a little while ago. and uh, Oh yeah, you were on the, the Daily Stoke podcast, I remember. Yeah, yeah, and he was very helpful to me. I needed some, I needed some advice on the subject of... Uh, of social media and how to use that kind of stuff and, and beyond that. And he was, uh, you know, he was just great for me, but I agree completely. He's a great reader. I'm, yeah. I have a hard time. I have resistance against reading as much as I'm a writer. I'm not much of a reader. I, it's for me, it's much more. I watch movies, you know, that's kind of oh, my, yeah. I've seen you talk uh, about that on your Instagram, but, uh, but Ryan is an amazing reader. Every time he sends out those, the reading list, you get that yeah. thing from him, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I feel so guilty when I see yeah. it. Yeah, but um, but what, what's great about what he said is, is no pause, you know, there's no hurry. I mean, life could end tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Or it, could, or it could also end 90 years from now, you know? Yeah. But no hurry and no pause, I think he's really right. In other words, what he's really talking about is the idea of a practice, just like you go to the gym every day and it's a, you know, you you know, you enter a kind yeah. of a certain space of mindset and, and you do it. And the, the repeating of it every day to me is a great, great 
steadying influence on me. It keeps me at least from like spiraling down in rabbit holes, you know, that each day I'm going to do that thing. Yeah. It's going to keep me grounded. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's, that's the importance of, of daily routine and daily habit in a nutshell right there. Because if you wake up and you have to decide if you're going to write or not, then you just give the resistance all that much more power. Yeah, it's over. If you're doing that, it's over, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I struggled for years and years with that. Years and years before I finally sort of broke through and just kind of settled down to do my work. But if you have to make, be making that decision, you've already lost. Yeah. Yeah. Another one of the overarching questions I had that, that leads into this well is that so I have this theory, like I kind of expressed, I look back and sort of feel like I was lost for a while and that I wasn't living life to the fullest extent that I should. But on the same token, I would never go back and change it because with that contrast of the person I am today and the person I was back then, that's part of why I'm so passionate about sharing. So I'm just curious if you could go back to yourself i know that in your 20s and 30s you had a lot of different jobs and you talk about you know not being able to turn pro and fully commit to your writing would you go back and change anything or do you just see that experience as valuable to who you are now that's a great question jake and i absolutely would not change it as much you know i had a, a period of i don't know maybe six or seven years where i was kind of wandering in the wilderness you know doing a million jobs and couldn't get my act together in any way and now that I look back it was you know while I was in it it was like hellish but now that I look back on it, it was really in many ways the most creative time of my life certainly what I would not change anything and particularly the the, the, the worse the failures and the more the agony the more valuable it was to me in the long run yeah now that I'm out of it you know now that uh, I hope I don't go back to it, but, um, you know, uh, if you've read my stuff and I know you have, you know, that I kind of think that our life is kind of divided in two halves. If we're, if we're creative or artistic or, or entrepreneurial in any way, and we have kind of our hero's journey, I think, which is sort of when we're wandering in the wilderness and we're, you know, encountering strange beasts and strange creatures and yeah. fighting the evil monsters and then, and also make, making great friends and having wonderful, you know, allies coming out for us. And then when we sort of get to the end of that, which is usually when we sort of come home in a sense, mm -hmm. then we start on, in my view, a different thing that I call the artist journey. And at that point, we sort of have found our calling and we're ready to commit to it. You know, mm -hmm. like in my case, it was to be a writer, right? So my kind of quote unquote hero's journey was traveling around the country and working crazy jobs and blah, blah, blah. And then at some point, the moment for me, like I was talking about the Brian Koppelman podcast, mm -hmm. things kind of turned for me and I said, okay, I am a writer. It might take me another 30 years to get anywhere, but that's what I'm gonna do from now on. If I have to work other jobs, I'll work other jobs. But, yeah. I'll, but I'm gonna do this. And at that point, I really did enter my artist journey in that point, and at that point, the issue then became, the question for myself became, what, what is my gift? What do I have that the world might be interested in? What, what can I give? You know, what is, uh, what is my calling? Who am I? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the rest of your life. You're on that train, I think. Yeah. You know? um, so that's and, kind of, so I would not change any of that. Yeah. 
And similarly, I'm sure, yeah, similarly, I'm sure you would agree that part of where the context and the content for your writing comes from is feeling those emotional lows of being angry and being frustrated and being fearful and being in different parts of the country and meeting different people from different walks of life. I'm guessing that's a lot of where you get your inspiration and things to write about. It's like if you just had the perfect life and you'd been a great writer since, you know, the age of, of a teenager, you, you probably wouldn't have as, as deep of uh, breadth of things to write about. You know, that it's sort of true, Jake, but not, not really for me. Yeah. And then I've, I've found that the specifics of the things that happened to me during that era of my life, I've really never written about. Mm. I've written fictional things. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, a lot of my stuff is set in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. So it's completely out of the imagination because yeah. I obviously didn't live 25 yeah. years ago. But I do think, like you say, those experiences that you have do inform everything, even mm -hmm. if it's not directly. It's not like maybe, yeah. well, let me, that guy I knew in the oil fields, mm -hmm. let me copy him and make him a character in a Western. You know, mm -hmm. it's not that, at least not for me. But on some deeper level, it, it does all go into the computer, yeah. you know what I mean, in some, in some way. Yeah, that's sort of where I was looking at it too. I am thinking about, Robert Greene's books and he talks so much about human nature and he has the 48 laws of power and it's just all about how people think how people act with one another I, I bet that in in ways that were maybe conscious at the time or maybe unconscious at the time you you wrote about the characters in your books and they had these emotions because you've experienced the emotions of yourself and other people and probably that more so in the sense that, oh, X person is modeled after Y person from my life or whatever it is. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, and I will say that in my experience in fiction, writing fiction, mm -hmm. is it's really not coming from experiences that you've necessarily had. Mm -hmm. Even in the sense of like anger, you might have had. It's not like you've had anger at so-and-so and now you're going to channel that for anger in a, in a character. For me in writing fiction, you really go to another place and you're, you're really, you're calling on, I'm a big believer in the muse, you know, I believe yeah. the goddess inspires you. And I think it, that uh, it's entirely possible, and I know this for an absolute fact from having done it, to write about things that you don't know a damn thing about mm. and make them completely convincing. Mm -hmm. Why that is, I don't know. Yeah, didn't you write one time that someone you wrote about uh, one of your characters being in prison and then you said yeah. like someone asked you like when you served time because it was so realistic that I thought you just had to have been in prison. Exactly. That was a really big, <laughs> that was a real lesson for me, you know, because mm -hmm. I was just pulling it out of my ass completely, mm -hmm. you know, just from prison movies that I'd seen or something like that. And, uh, and people more than one came up to me and said, you know, Steve, where did you do time? Man? Mm -hmm. And I thought, Wow, that's amazing. If, if it's possible to create that illusion, the illusion of reality, just from your imagination, then that's, that's, what, that's what writing fiction is all about. Yeah. We've all had that, Jake. It's like if when you're a kid, let's say you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, right? The principal catches you or something. Your mom catches you doing something terrible. And on the spot, you have to come up with some BS story, right? Yeah. It's amazing the stuff that you can come up with. Mm -hmm. Like even as you're saying it, words are coming out of your mouth. Part of your brain is thinking, "Wow, where did where did I come up with that book?" Yeah. You know, and it's like completely convincing, and you can even see 
your mother or the school principal in their eyes like they're believing you. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, wow, it's amazing, mm -hmm. which is really what fiction writing is all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's back to that that sense of and that that deep intuition that we all have. And I think that part of the resistance is just that we ignore that intuition or that deep subconscious thinking that we have to get to. I know that you talk a lot about that too, that you know, your your works and the things that you say, a lot of times they aren't coming from your conscious brain, but rather your your unconscious brain. Exactly. In fact, they're, they're coming from a place that when you're done, and, and I've heard so many writers and artists say this, that I know it's absolutely true. When you're done, you finish a page or you finish a chapter and you look at it and you go, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I sort of believe that we really are two people, you know, and that, and that the, that second person that we don't know, that is the source of all this stuff. That's the, that's our real self, you know, mm -hmm. crazy way to be sort of, but I, I, I think it's, there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like how you talk about the self versus the ego and the fact that the self is your instinct, intuition, unconscious, whereas yeah. the ego is rational thought. And so often that's what we, we tend to think is the way it's like, okay, I have to think this out logically and reasonably, but it's like, we're not, just because a lot of our world is based around logic and reason and organization, that's not necessarily how our brains are wired to work. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. It's, it's yeah. a deeper self that's living our lives. Mm -hmm. and, and if we can sort of, in many ways, sort of the secret of, of, of life, I think, is somehow connecting to that. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that, that I've been trying to work on really hard lately with not very much success, this is maybe going a little bit of a field from what you want to talk about, Jake, but I'll try oh, it anyway. I'm, I'm in it's, for anything. Is uh, listening to your dreams. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, because uh, the dreams are coming from the, from your unconscious or your collective unconscious somewhere. I don't even know where they come from. But in many ways, I feel like your dream life is, is your real life. Mm -hmm. That level of consciousness is where you're, you're really living. It's sort of like that analogy people sometimes make to like a super tanker mm -hmm. that 90% of it is below the water. And we're only seeing the, the part of the ship that's, a, you know, the bridge and the, the bow and all that. But underneath the water, it's doing its own thing. So there's a wonderful book actually called, that I would recommend to anybody that's listening here, called Inner Work by Robert Johnson, mm -hmm. who is a uh, Jungian psychologist, psychiatrist, or whatever. And the, the whole book, Inner Work, is about analyzing your dreams, about, um, you know, the techniques that he uses so that, you know, these dreams that seem crazy or seem like they're bad dreams or nightmares, once you sort of learn the techniques of how to break them down, uh, you can really, you know, understand what your unconscious is trying to communicate to you. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, for me, it's really saved me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy that you say that because obviously I, I reacted strongly because interestingly enough, every, well, almost every morning when I do start to write, usually I write first about my dreams because I feel like number one, it's the easiest thing to start writing about because all you're doing is kind of like relaying these experiences that you've had. Uh -huh. yeah, and number yeah. two, like you said, it's, it's, I definitely feel like it's a representation of what's really going on. What are you thinking? And so I'll, a lot of times I'll write down what my dream was 
and then just a thought of maybe what this means and what sort of, you know, what, how this ties to my waking life. Because a lot of times, you know, for example, I, I, there's this website that I go to a lot of times. It's called the Dream Bible, and it explains like common interpretations of what a dream might mean. Uh-huh. So it's like, oh, you, you saw a bear. You know, there might be an overbearing figure in your life or things uh-huh. of, that, of that nature. Uh, yeah, well, I highly recommend this book, Inner Work by Robert yeah. Johnson. I'll have to check um, it out. Yeah. And so back to that uh, theory of intuition, I'm curious how you think about this. One of my other principles or sort of overarching uh, thoughts that I often have is that this intuition ties to, to God in a way, however, however someone views God as, you know, the whole universe. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, if you, you know, I think that for me, I, I do a lot of yoga and meditation and things of that nature, but also belong to a traditional church. And to me, I don't really think there's any separation. I think that God is in everything that we do. And I understand why some different religions just look at God as like, he's, he's everything in the universe. And when you talk about intuition, I think that that's where that comes from. I think that there's a lot of good quotes by Steve Jobs that I often look to about intuition, where he just reaffirms that even if you feel like where your intuition is leading you seems silly and seems off course right now, it's, it's what God is trying to lead you to do and what the universe has, has planned for you. And I think a lot of times resistance is just that dissonance of, Hey, you're not following your life's course. Like, come on, get back on track. Even if you don't want to do it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, whether you call it God or you call it uh, the unconscious or the muse, or it's some other dimension of reality that's much wiser than, than we are. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, like you say, that when we have these intuitions, you know, like, oh, I should do this, right? I'm, yeah. I'm inspired to, you know, fly to Argentina, whatever, something mm-hmm. like that. Almost always our, our rational brain immediately says, oh, that's really stupid, mm-hmm. right? What are you, crazy? Why did you? And yet when we, when we do those things and we look back, we say to ourselves, that was exactly what we should have done. You know, mm-hmm. and I find it for me it, in books that I write, I'll have an idea for a book and my first reaction will be, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You know, yeah. who's going to be interested in, in that except you. And again, I think that's that intuition for that book oftentimes turns out to be exactly right. You know, mm-hmm. and it was my small minded doubting of it that I really need to clear out and get rid of. Yeah. And once you sort of commit to it, then it's almost like a river starts to flow Mm -hmm. of, of creativity, of ideas, of inspiration. Uh, That was, you look back and you say it was there all along and I was Mm -hmm. just afraid to jump into that river. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting because just that, that fear of failure is often, it's like the intensity of the fear of failure and the, intensity of the not wanting to do it usually is a direct parallel to how how strong your ideas are or how rich the payoff might be if you if you do delve into it i I agree completely jake it's what i kind of say about resistance that Mm -hmm. the stronger the resistance that you feel to an idea Mm -hmm. or a calling or something that you want to do the more important it is that you do it Mm -hmm. so that in a way the more important for your soul's evolution so in a way, that, uh, that negative resistance is a good sign. Mm-hmm. Until, if you're feeling that much resistance, 
There must be something to it, you know? It's like mm -hmm. people when they say, well, you're in this house, you can look anywhere you want, but don't go through that door. Mm -hmm. Don't go in that room, you know? And that's the room you should go in. Mm -hmm. It's just like the imposter syndrome that, you know, many famous entrepreneurs or actors or people from all these different walks of life will talk about. It's that voice that goes, well, who are you to, t like for myself, sometimes I think, well, who am I to be telling people how to be healthy? And who am I to be telling people how to eat and how to exercise and, and why to meditate and how to live. And it's like, Oh, you know, you're only 24. You don't know anything. But at the same time, it's just me being honest and telling what I think. And I think that the most important caveat is that back to the ego and self, it's not, you're not saying this because you know, you're right. And you know, you're the best, but you're, you're saying it because you want to help other people. And I'm always open to different interpretations and welcome different interpretations. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. And even me, I'm now 76 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm like a real geezer, full-on geezer, <laughs> capital G. You know, but I still have tremendous doubts, self-doubts, where I go, who am I to be telling people anything? You know, mm -hmm. what do I know? Because in my mind, I'm 24 years old, just like you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but again, I don't think that's a valid thought. That's resistance. Mm -hmm. That's the voice of resistance trying to stop you from actually, you know, expressing what you should express mm -hmm. yeah that's why i really enjoy like i have a lot of friends my age just like anyone you know in my situation does but i really enjoy getting to hang around people that are older because they're more apt to you know have less of that ego that wants to think that we're right i think that definitely when you're young and in your mid-20s you want to think you're right you're on top of the world but once you get a little bit older, you seem to be a lot more reflective and people, especially because I'm curious and I consider myself a, a good listener. And I, I think a lot of times people are willing to share the experiences that they had and say like, you know, and it's not necessarily telling you to do something or telling you what you should do, but it's more so, you know, be careful of this or this is just like you said, uh, one of the most important things that I've come to realize is especially when you're young, like when you're a kid and you're a teenager, you think adults know everything. You think they just one day just snap and you have everything figured out. But the older you get, the more you realize that's not true. Everyone's always on this constant journey of self-exploration. And you yourself, an author of 20 books, you expressing that you still have that self-doubt on a day-to-day -day basis just proves that it never goes away and you shouldn't expect that, nor should you want that. Yeah, it's true. It does never go away. And you are a good listener, Jake. And thank I you. I appreciate you for that. Well, thank you. Um, one of the, well, there's a couple more things I wanted to get to that I thought were especially relevant and that stuck with me the most from your writing. Um, one of those is just the fact that you talk so much about resistance and we've talked about ignoring it and how we try to take our mind off it. A lot of writers will talk about, I don't remember, there's some sort of quote that says, you know, how can I sit down to write when there's a perfectly good sink of dirty dishes? You know, things <laughs> of nature. we always just want to be distracted. But myself, sometimes I'll notice myself going into the victim mindset of like, oh, I, sh I wish I grew up, you know, in the times before social media and cell phones and computers because I'd be able to write so much clearer. But you yourself, you battled resistance in the times before this was, you know, part of our everyday lives. So wh what, what do you, I guess, I'm, I guess my question is, what would be your advice to someone like me who feels that like a stroke of, of, unluckiness for being in the age of constant technology technology and stimulation of that nature 
Well, I'm sure it was never any different, Jake. Like if we lived mm -hmm. in the 1700s in rural England, we were thinking, oh, look at the ducks outside. They're, they're yeah. quacking, they're going down to the pond. I've got to take care of them, right? You know, mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Look at that milkmaid walking across the, 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 the meadow, you know, that, that sort of thing. So I don't think, I mean, you know, social media is tremendously distracting, but we have to, you know, obviously like when you go to, whatever you do when you go to the gym and you do your workout in the morning, mm -hmm. that's exactly what you need to do if you're, if you're writing. You, I mean, mm -hmm. When you go through that door, you block everything out, right? Yeah. It's gone. And for me, I, I just turn off all this shit, you know, mm -hmm. when I'm trying to work. And, and nobody talks to me unless there's a nuclear apocalypse. Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm not going to stop until I've got my, put in my time mm -hmm. for, that, for that day. But I learned that over from years and years of failing to do that, mm -hmm. watching my life, you know, go down a, a rat hole, you know? So, um, but it is like, I've always said, it's like, turn, it's turning pro is the answer, you know, mm -hmm. is thinking of yourself as a professional. Would Kobe Bryant, you know, on his way to the gym at five in the morning or whatever he did, would he stop? And you know, and uh, get onto YouTube or something for forty minutes. Forget it. He's got. A, he's on a mission. You know, he's like the Blues Brothers. Mm -hmm. He's going to go to the gym. He's going to shoot his five hundred shots or whatever it is that he does, or did. And uh, you know that that's the professional mindset. Yeah, my favorite part of turning pro is. That. Yeah, my favorite part of turning pro was when you talk about. Uh, I think you, you said incorporating yourself, thinking of yourself as a corporation and how a lot of authors that you know will say, uh, I, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it in the past, but it's like they'll contract themselves out. Like this is a job for yeah. Stephen Pressfield company. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not like, cause that, that makes it, like you said, that switch to being a professional. Yeah. Like I remember, I'll, I'll, I'll refresh your memory for what it is. I think it was in a war of art actually. Mm-hmm. And it was when I first got to Hollywood and started working as a screenwriter, I realized that a lot of writers had incorporated themselves. And, you know, they had some name, you know, Broken Arrow Incorporated, whatever. Mm -hmm. And when they would sign up for a job and sign a contract, the contract was between, let's say, Paramount or 20th Century Fox, not to them, you know, not to Jake Parker, but to Broken Arrow Incorporated. And they would hire out there, it was called FSO, for services of. You know, oh, that's what I was thinking of, FSO. Of you. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a great way of looking at things because if we think of ourselves just as our sort of weak, vacillating selves, mm -hmm. we might chicken out or we might you know, not be as bold as we would. But if we think of ourselves as a corporation, you know, as a separate entity that we're managing, you know, our, our mentality is now behind our head managing us. Sometimes that's a great help. You know, it's certainly, it's a great help to make you feel professional. Make you feel like you're working as a professional. Even if you don't literally incorporate yourself. If you just kind of think of that, you know, in your mind. Think of yourself mm -hmm. that way. It's yeah. a business. Definitely. Yeah, so, and then the, the, the last thing that, that falls in line with this is just another way that people fight the resistance or that it manifests that you've talked about is in a, a darker way, whether it be alcoholism or drugs or things of that nature. And I just think that it's so interesting. I, I was going through my, uh, you've, you've seen my highlights that I've put on my Instagram before. I like to put highlights of books I've read and a lot uh -huh. of times I put highlights from the, the war of art or turning pro. 
And one of my favorites you wrote in the War of Art um, was, if tomorrow morning by some stroke of magic, every dazed and benign soul woke up with the power to take the first step in pursuing his or her dreams, you say, every shrink in the directory would be out of business, prisons would stand empty, the alcohol and tobacco industries would collapse along with junk food, cosmetic surgery, and the infotainment business. And you go along to say a little bit more, but I think that that's, that's to me the biggest the biggest example of resistance takes its form in every course of life. And that's why I recommend this, not just for a creative or a writer, but for anyone, because whenever, you know, that person that just can't quit smoking or that can't quit, you know, just getting drunk every weekend, a lot of times you would say, I believe that it's because they have some unfulfilled journey that they need to undertake. Exactly. It's exactly what I would say. And obviously, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a shrink. I can't, mm -hmm. you know, prove that. But like when, you, you know, there's this energy that's inside us, that mm -hmm. this creative energy that wants to express itself. It's our, it's our calling, whatever it is. You know, mm -hmm. you were put on this earth for a certain reason, and so was everybody else. And when, when we don't follow that path, whatever it is, when we mm -hmm. dam it up and block it, that energy doesn't go away. It goes into some other channel, you know, and it'll go into a sort of a shadow channel. It'll go into drinking. It'll go into drugs. It'll go into abusing ourselves or, mm -hmm. or other people. Or, or like I say in, in Turning Pro, sometimes we'll choose a profession. Mm -hmm. Like that'll be sort of a shadow career that's sort of like what we want to do. Like it's a, almost a cliche in, in Hollywood there are uh, entertainment law firms, mm -hmm. you know, and lawyers that do the contracts for writers and directors and actors. And it's, it happens over and over and over again that these lawyers themselves really want to be writers, but they yeah. really want to be directors. And they've just kind of chosen a sort of a, a parallel field. Well, you know, I guess the conversation in their mind is subconsciously, well, I'm not good enough to write Moby Dick but maybe I could be the lawyer that would represent Herman Melville, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, when somebody I think tries to break an addiction, like drinking or drugs or anything like that, it needs to be replaced by something. Yes. That, that energy and, and what it really needs to be replaced with is whatever their real soul calling was. Mm -hmm. You know, and almost always it's a creative thing. It's mm -hmm. music, it's something, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's helping people, it's being a mom, it's running a, a, a nonprofit, it's something positive. But we all have so much fear for mm -hmm. that, that, that a lot of times we'll channel that energy or the energy will channel itself against our will into something darker, something, a, a vice or even a crime, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and one of the one of the most other fascinating things in the war of art was when you talk about it's Tom Laughlin's Cancer Foundation, I believe. Yeah. That when he's he helps people delve into like their creative endeavors of whether it be like learning an instrument or becoming a, a painter or a writer or whatever it is, and that that many cancers have gone into remission and things of that nature. And it's it's crazy how there's there's literal evidence of the the physiologically being impacted by not following your true calling. Yeah, I, I, I mean, again, I can't prove that, but actually mm -hmm. you see these windows behind me, mm -hmm. up the hill, right up there, that was, that's Tom Laughlin's house, or it used to be his mm -hmm. house. Um, you know, he died a couple of years ago, Tom Laughlin of Billy Jack, if mm -hmm. people don't remember him. But uh, 
that was what he did. He would work with cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And so in other words, he would think of the cancer as a shadow where energy, shadow energy has gone into that mm -hmm. and formed a tumor, et cetera, et cetera. So he would work with them and he asked them, what was your dream when you were young? Is there anything that you had that, and a lot of times people will say, I always wanted to be a concert pianist, mm -hmm. or I always wanted to sing, or I wanted to write a novel. And so his therapy for them was, okay, do it. Let's do that right now. And he would help them set up, you know, a piano lessons or whatever it was. And amazingly, or maybe not so amazingly, cancers went into remission. Mm -hmm. now, probably, I don't know what the success rate was, but... I think there's a lot to his theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm stuck on the, well, not stuck is not the right word, but I'm thinking about the lawyers that you made reference to. And I'm curious what advice or what reflections you have. I know that uh, a way that you and James Altucher, another person who I like to read are similar, is that yeah. you've both had and been offered lots of like high profile office type jobs where, I know that you've talked about being in the advertising business and James has been in a, a, a big player in like the financial business. And even though they offer you a shiny title and an office and, you know, a big salary, how do you, you say no to something like that? You know, cause I'm sure that probably the argument from these lawyers that you speak of in Hollywood is, Oh, well, I can't, I can't stop making my $500,000 a year salary and go try yeah, to write yeah. a, a, a novel or a, a screenplay or whatever it is. Yeah, that's that's a real because I mean, that those are real questions in the real world. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have kids in college or whatever, mm -hmm. you got a mortgage, a wife, but da 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 da. You know, it's hard to make that decision. But um, a lot of in my experience, the lawyers that I know that are like that, they just they become so unhappy. Mm -hmm. I can feel it myself when I would try to work those jobs. You know, when people would, would you know they never gave me that big of a title, but they give you a little mm -hmm. title. Uh, I would just become so unhappy that I just mm -hmm. couldn't do it. I was so depressed. I would, and I would just go home and write, you know, all night long, mm -hmm. you know, and on the weekends, cause I just, I just couldn't, you know, whatever that the daemon, whatever that energy is that mm -hmm. inside you just won't be denied. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the, one of the oldest cliches in the book, but you know, money doesn't buy happiness as we know. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But the other it, thing, of course, if anybody's listening that has a job and they're thinking to themselves, well, I should quit my job. That's not necessary. You mm -hmm. know, um, I was just watching, you know, who David Baldacci is the writer. I don't think so. No, he's, he's, he's a, like in airports, you know, the books they would have in the airports, you know, mm -hmm. he's one of those guys, a thriller writer. He's like had mm -hmm. a million bestsellers and he used to be a lawyer. He was a very successful lawyer. And in fact, the uh, he de you know masterclass.com are you familiar with that no i don't think so oh this is a great thing you got to turn you on your okay. readers on to this www.masterclass.com okay, www okay. Have, they'll get like steve martin will do a masterclass on, ah. on comedy or that kind of thing mm -hmm. a bunch of writers that have done the same thing david mammoth james patterson but david baldacci has done it and i think it's like uh in fact even steph curry as a master class oh. on dribbling and you know, that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, but David Baldacci was a, a very successful lawyer, exact thing we're talking about. And his dream was to be a writer. And uh, he went through quite a bit of agony where he, would, mm -hmm. where he, just, he finally did 
achieve enough success that he could do it. But he did it kind of on the side. He didn't quit his day job. Mm -hmm. He just kept working, 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 and he finally broke through. So it certainly, yeah. you know, it isn't necessary to throw everything out the window. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing that's most tough about that is uh, I, a lot of times, like you say, it's not necessary to quit your job and it can be perfectly reasonable to, you know, make a budget and say, okay, I'll have X amount of money if I work for X amount more time. But I'm curious the advice you would have to someone who, you know, maybe they said that a year ago, but they keep working and they, they, they want to make a little bit more money and they want to work for a little bit more, but then they're going to quit. Like what, I mean, that's, that's resistance too, right? So what Absolutely. advice would you give to someone who is trying to find that balance of when to step away and when to, you know, because anytime you have a job, it's going to take some of your energy and your output that you're capable of. So if you want to give a hundred percent to your creative endeavor or whatever it is, what advice would you have to someone in, in uh, going about that balance? I mean, everybody's different, you know, Jake. I mean, I was always from a school of quit entirely, mm -hmm. but I don't know if I would recommend that mm -hmm. um, because I've certainly seen, many, many people who have succeeded staying in their job and just being mentally disciplined enough that, you know, you go in two hours early, like James Patterson used to do. He was head of a big ad agency, J. Walter Thompson in New York. And he would just go in at 5.30 each morning, lock, close the door and work on his fiction. You know, and when 7.30 or whatever came around, he'd open the door and he'd go to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, there's a lot to be said from that. And I think sometimes when we think, oh, I've got to chuck it all so I can devote full time to something, that can be a form of resistance too. Mm -hmm. Resistance against working day by day, having a practice, even if it's only an hour or two hours. Because yeah. any art takes a long time to master. You know, it's not like I say, it's not writing isn't brain surgery. It's a lot harder than brain surgery mm -hmm. or anything else, any art, dance, choreography, film, acting, you name it. So I would not recommend anybody go from a standing start to quitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know, it's just like work stuff. on your art, learn your craft, you know. Yeah. When you finally do leave, you should be like, you know, the bird that leaves the nest. Mm -hmm. you know, first, the wings have to grow. They have to get the feathers. They have to learn how to fly. Mm -hmm. Don't just top out of the nest without these little, with little tiny sparrow wings, you know, be mm -hmm. ready to fly. Yeah. And the other, the other important thing to note, I think, is that we talked about the voice in your head that everyone has. And a lot of times that voice in your head can wear different masks and it can be a lot of different people. And where I'm going is like, you know, if you were to say, just uh, burn the ships or however the, the saying goes, if you were just to completely quit your job and then you had a falling out and everything failed and you, you didn't have any money, then that voice in your head might go, it's okay that you failed. Of course you failed. You, you know, you quit everything at once. So it can, it can be a self justifying thing too. So I think you have to be careful that, you know, it takes on so many different forms. Yeah, that resistance is diabolical in the way that mm -hmm. it's trying to talk you into or talk you out of everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. But again, like, like, let's go back to what Ryan Holiday said about that there's no rush mm -hmm. and that it's a lifelong thing. There's not going to be any interruption. Mm -hmm. So whatever that calling is, you, anybody can start it right now, just a, an hour a day, two hours a day, and commit to that. And that takes a lot of guts mm -hmm. to, to do that, you know, mm -hmm. and not, and not go the sort of romantic way of, I'm going to jump out with a parachute, I'm going to live in a garret in Paris, you know. Now, like I say, I did that, but I wouldn't recommend it to anybody else. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's essentially kind of ending it like we started it because that's another parallel to fitness. You can't go from being an obese person to a week later being in shape and being ripped. You have to exercise. Like you said, if you exercise for an hour a day every day, maybe in two, three, four years, you are going to be a person that's fit and in shape. But if you've you know, if you've had these, these negative habits that have led you to be in a place that you don't want to be in, you have to dig yourself out and it takes time, but know that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel too, I think is important. Yes. That's a great way to bring it all home, Jake, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, mm -hmm. my wonderful trainer, T.R. Goodman, he, 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 sometimes he'll, he'll point out somebody that's jogging on the street, you know, and you can see that they're not in shape at mm -hmm. all and they're just but they're pushing themselves you know mm -hmm. they're and they're and he'll say they should just be walking mm -hmm. you know because they're going to hurt themselves they're going to make their hips are, you know going to go all out of whack they're going to screw up their knees just walk for a while until you have the strength and then start to gently jog and a year mm -hmm. from now you'll be really running yeah so yeah I, in other words i agree with you completely Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's funny because my last I'll, every Saturday or Sunday, I'll do a five minute fit tip podcast. And my last one was called why I don't like the phrase work hard. And I made that point that when it comes to fitness, a lot of people just equate how hard they work with, you know, the results they're going to get. Whereas just like writing, you have to work smart. You can't just beat yourself, you know, down on a blank page. That's not going to help you write the novel or the blog. What you have to do is just chip away at it each day. I, I couldn't agree more. And I would say like, just on the writing thing that I know we're getting to the end of this, Jake, mm -hmm. I would say if I'm, if I'm working on a book, it, it's just like fitness. It's like getting in shape. If I'm not in shape at the start, it'll take me three or four months before I'm, I'm really ready to sort of do the equivalent of a really hard workout at the gym. Mm -hmm. It just, it just takes that time yeah. before you're kind of, kind of ready for it. And I know that's even supposedly true of meditation too, although mm -hmm. I'm not a meditator, mm -hmm. yeah. that you got to build up to getting in really, really deep. Am mm -hmm. I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's exactly what Sam Harris talks about with the, with the waking up app. And that's, that's why I like an app because it, it guides you. Whereas just, uh, it's kind of similar to the fact that you have a trainer and a lot of people like to have a trainer. You want someone to guide you into it because a lot of times we don't know what it takes to get in great shape or to become a proficient at meditation or something like that. That's why it's important to look to others. Like I've looked to you for writing and different fitness uh, people for fitness advice and things of that nature. Always have mentors. That's important to me. Yes, I agree. Cause we'll, if we're on our own, I think we'll tend to overdo it. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll get over to the squat rack and we'll say, well, gee, I saw that big guy over there lift, you know, X amount. Let me try it too. And next thing you know, you're in the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you, if you work up to it, and a trainer will do that. It will stop you from mm -hmm. going too fast, too, you know, too soon. Yeah. We call it ego lifting, right? Just like back to yeah. the ego. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's our time, Steve. I appreciate you joining me. It's a really fun conversation. Right, Jake. Thanks for having me. You're our great listener, great question asker. Well, thank you. Hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. Hey, it's Jake again. If this podcast provided you any value, I'd encourage you to share it with someone who you think might enjoy it. In addition, it'd really help me out a lot if you would go and subscribe or leave a review for my podcast. It's super easy. And in addition, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love for you to reach out to me by email or Instagram DM, which can both be found on my website. Thanks.